Hi folks, we want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church Podcast with our Associate Minister, Pastor Eric Howder. Now this podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries in the iTunes Store. Right now, let's get to Pastor Eric's insightful message. So we have five missionaries, um, four of them are represented here today. The first one is not representative here today with anybody, but we have a video that will be shown uh, shortly. Ryan and Melissa Humphrey, they serve in El Salvador. They are long-term missionaries there. I believe they started out as short-term missionaries, um, and now with their seven children, um, which I struggle with three, uh, but they have seven. They are now long-term. They live there. They're engaged uh, in the culture there, uh, their disciple-making. Um, they're not just going to stay there and eventually leave uh, and leave them up to their own uh, devices. They are disciple-making, so when they leave, there's people there that can take over and, and, and share the message of Christ. Uh, the video is going to show, and then Heather will have a few other updates on them. So what this looks like in a practical way is that we... Uh, when we enter a community, we see what God is doing in that community with the people that live there and how we can partner with God's plan for those people. As we plant a church in this community, we're also looking at the things that we can help with in a practical way. So we do things like micro-enterprise or tilapia raising, uh, chicken raising, and uh, we also do some medical missions as well. These are the things that uh, we connect with the community. These are, these are inroads into those communities as God uh, opens the doors for us. We're so very excited about how the Lord is um, working in these communities in El Salvador. And we're very excited to be partnering with your church as well. Last year, God did a lot of really cool things. Even in the middle of COVID, when all the world seemed to be shut down, God did awesome things. And we got to see over 100 people come to Jesus. And so uh, we've added a short video just, just highlighting a little bit of what God did last year to share with you guys at the end of this video. We'll also put our contact information if you would like to receive uh, our monthly email updates with prayer requests and praise um, praise updates. <laughs> um, you can join us through email as well or on Facebook. So a little background, I went to college, Andy and I went to college with Ryan and Melissa, um, and I've met all seven of their children. <laughs> uh, they were told they were crazy to take seven children to El Salvador, which is run by gangs. And it's hard to get in to El Salvador as a foreigner, and yet God opened doors. He sent them there, um, and we wanted to introduce them to you quite some time ago, but had trouble getting the video from El Salvador to here, uh, had some technical difficulties, so we are glad to introduce them uh, to you today. I uh, just want to update a little bit. Um, they've asked us to pray for the innocent lives experiencing persecution under the government there during COVID. Um, people who became believers, some were jailed, um, others have had things happen to their businesses, um, but through it all, God is the king, and he makes happen what he wants to happen. Um, they have started new pet- 
tomato and cucumber plants along with their tilapia farming for them to be able to grow healthy food in urban areas. Uh, they don't have the farms like we do. Um, and also pray for all those who are preparing to come on team visits. They have some short-term teams from the U.S. headed down there. Um, so they just ask that um, the Lord would, we pray for the Lord to guide them and bless them as they are there to bless and serve uh, down there. They're so thankful they just were donated a soccer field several soccer fields um that's one of their ministries there um and so now they have land and they can have games on their schedules um and it brings a lot of people out that they can minister to and reach uh that wouldn't necessarily come to church or um to them another way so um the other thing with all that during covid all the meals that they gave out they weren't sure where the money was going to come from but they went on faith and as you could see it was provided for them but that has left them with a fifteen hundred dollar a month shortfall in their budget so if anybody wants to partner with them over and above what the church gives um come see me i'll give you their information i already had one person come up after the eight o'clock and say they wanted to help so if the lord lays that on your heart come see me um, and pray for the Humphreys. Thank you, Heather. Um, place that's tough to get into. God's opened the door. And um, before we go to our next one, my wife reminded me we had actually have five kids. Not that I forgot the other two, but we have a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and actually six pretty soon. We, uh, we'll have a granddaughter down the road. So actually, I remembered the important one. Um, but our, our next one. Uh, we'll have Emily from the Alliance Pregnancy Center come up. Uh, they do a, a phenomenal job in the community, a, a need that's uh, very much important and critical, especially the, the last couple of months with, with different things going on in society. It's even more uh, vital that we be in prayer for them and support them. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for inviting us to be here. Uh, we have been blessed by your past support from the Faith Promise Rally, and it's just incredible to see all the work that you guys do. And it's not just the financial um, blessings that you've given us. You've given us uh, prayer support. You've given us lots of diapers, and um, and we're very thankful. So how many of you here have not heard of Alliance Pregnancy Center? Okay, you're going to make my job easy then today. I would like to update you on what we've been busy with in the past year. Uh, our budget has gone up because, as you know, we moved into a 5,500-square-foot area uh, right across the hall, and we came from a 1,500-foot uh, suite. And so with that, God has brought growth in a lot of our programs Um, And he's helping us to find direction in that growth, and we're thankful for that. We saw about 1,000 client contacts last year, gave out 16,000 diapers and 130 cans of formula and about 500 outfits. In our medical clinic, we performed approximately 200 pregnancy tests, 200 ultrasounds, and about 50 um, STD tests. So... Given all that, I know somewhere out there there is a numbers person. I am a numbers person because numbers tell a story. But not just the numbers, um, 
there are clients that are coming in to our, through our doors each and every day. And every day that we're open, Monday through Thursday, we begin our day with prayer, asking the Lord for discernment, helping us to discern the needs of those clients that are walking in through the doors. Uh, we have the purpose of protecting the unborn, providing for the needs of our families in the community, whether those be material goods or educational needs or parenting um, skills, we want to be there for them and for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are a 501c3 um, nonprofit organization and we are faith-based. We proclaim the gospel to anybody who comes through the door um, that will allow us to do that. So with their permission, um, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our medical clinic, as you all have seen in the news, that um, we're looking to see Roe versus Wade overturned and how that's going to impact our particular center. We anticipate a growth in the number of clients that we're seeing. Already in the last uh, couple months, we have had an increase in the number of abortion-minded, abortion-vulnerable clients that call the center. And some of those calls, most of those calls, um, end in an appointment to the center. That's what we want to see. We do have um, an opportunity to educate them on what their choice Contains If they choose to terminate the pregnancy, what are they looking at? Because a lot of people out there just think that it's a quick fix and it's not, or they use it as contraception and it's not. Um, And we're there to say, you know, I hear you saying that you don't have a job, you're in trouble, you might be kicked out of your home, and so you're not ready to, to bring this child into the world. But you have a couple options. And that's our job, is to uh, give truth, but give truth in love. And so once they've heard what um, is entailed in terminating the pregnancy, um, and once they've had the ultrasound and they see life on that ultrasound, you can see blood flowing through the chambers of the heart. You can see movement before the mom even feels movement. And that's just an incredible life-affirming tool for us. And so we are privileged to have the Lord use us in that capacity. We've had um, women in the last three years, if we count all of our abortion-minded, abortion-vulnerable women that have come to us, two out of three women have changed their minds and decided to carry their baby to term. And we praise the Lord for that. In the matter of educational and support programs, we have our Learning for Life program. Um, I and compassionate towards people that have a need and want to help them in that need. But I also have educator in my background, so I want to use those points of contact as, a, as an opportunity for us to educate. So if you come to us and you say, well, I don't have any diapers, then we set, we set up a uh, Learning for Life appointment. During that appointment, we tell you about all of our services. Um, women can, and men, because we encourage the men to be a part of the pregnancy, uh, fun fact, did you know that men carry the most weight in the decision process of whether or not to carry through with the pregnancy? It is the man. And so why leave him out of this equation? I've seen a patient um, go from I'm going to have an abortion to I'm going to carry because 
her boyfriend changed his mind back to we're going to go ahead and, and terminate the pregnancy because he changed his mind again. So we do want to include men in our ministry. Um, and by the way, we are looking for a father champion, somebody who will head our fatherhood ministry uh, program that is just developing. So if the Lord speaks to anybody here or you know of somebody who might be a good fit for us, uh, please give, contact us. Um, going back to our educational program, we have a baby boot camp, which is our labor and delivery series. And if women attend all four of those sessions, um, it's a time commitment. They're two-hour sessions learning about labor and delivery, postpartum care, um, developing speech um, in the first year of a newborn's life, and um, just addressing different childhood illnesses. You will receive a free car seat. And the Lord has helped that program to grow a lot. Um, And I didn't know if we would keep up with that need for car seats. But you know how the Lord does. He goes ahead of you. And he's already opening doors, speaking to people, um, making connections in the community. And right now we don't have a need for more car seats. We're looking forward to uh, being able to distribute the ones that we have. And last but not least, we do proclaim the the gospel of Jesus Christ using the Three Circles presentation. And the Lord just opens doors that way. When you have a woman who's in crisis and we're there to listen, to help her um, by education, know what all of her options are, Um, right now, post, I'm going to say post-COVID, we have people that are in need of a home, just a place to call home, Um, people in need of employment, people in need of food, in need of gas, and the Lord has put us in a place to be able to meet those needs so that we can talk about her pregnancy and talk about um, where do we go from here. So I praise the Lord that we have had several abortion-minded women that have changed their mind um, and decided to carry their baby. And we're continuing to pray for the women who have not yet made a decision. I pray that you would help us with that endeavor. And we have also continued to pray for women who've decided to go through with terminating their pregnancy. Because the Lord can still work in their hearts. Um, We've made it a safe place for them to come. We've had girls call post-abortive and called because they need someone there to help them through that journey. So thank you so much for partnering with us. Without your support in the many ways that you support us, uh, we would not be able to have our doors open. So truly thank you and pray that the Lord would bless you. Thank you. I will also keep uh, the Alliance Pregnancy Center in the upcoming month or two in prayers for their uh, protection and safety as well going forward um, with, with circumstances that are uh, forthcoming. Uh, the Children's Christian Home uh, out in Worcester, again, provide many services to the community um, that are vital for, our, for the children in the community, and they provide a tremendous amount of service, uh, even in the non-Christian secular realm of things too and dan franks is from there to give an update well thanks for having me this morning to share about the christian children's home of ohio Uh, we have a table out there and we have these pens i encourage you to take has our name and our website on it uh, because i know if you're like me um, 
you know, you'll just remember some bald guy was up here talking about kids a few months from now, but you may not remember all the details. So by all means, uh, take those pens as a reminder and as a reminder to pray for the children at the Christian Children's Home of Ohio. Now, CCHO, as we often go to go by because that's a very long title, Christian Children's Home of Ohio. So CCHO actually is three family ministries. We have our Encompass Christian Counseling with offices throughout Northeast and North Central Ohio. We provide counseling services for children and adults uh, at our offices. And so we have about 2,000 people in the course of a year who come to us for counseling assistance. We then also have Encourage Foster Care, which uh, provides treatment foster care homes for children in, uh, in about a 90-mile radius from Worcester is where we recruit parents because we have to send out workers to support those parents in their fostering journey. Uh, we are about to do a bigger push this year in Stark and Summit County. Uh, we've been doing a lot of our training over in Wayne County, and we're going to come over more this way to do some more foster care recruitment uh, because we do get children over in this area, and we just know it's kind of harder sometimes for people over here to make the tre- trek over to Worcester. So uh, I know in the green area in particular, we're going to be having some um, foster care um, training sessions happening uh, this year. So keep your eyes and ears open about that and, and encourage people to check it out. We have a separate website for Encourage and Encompass, those two family ministries. Those, are, those links, though, are on our main website, ccho.org, and you can find all the information about that. So if you know someone who's considering fostering, uh, I would encourage you to push them in that direction and check out Encourage Foster Care. But what we're most known for is our campus in Worcester, 165 acres. We've been around for over 50 years now. Started at what was traditionally like an orphanage. It's not really a term we use anymore. Uh, But now we're what we call a residential care facility. And so we receive children from all over the state of Ohio. We can receive children anywhere in the state who have suffered a higher level of trauma. So we have different levels. When a child is removed from a home, that they are assigned a level of trauma. We never tell a child what that is. But that determines the kind of care that they need. It may be a traditional foster home, which many of our counties uh, can take care of. And then there's what the next notch up would be for treatment foster care. That's where our encourage foster care comes into play. And then the next notch up from that would be residential, which is what we do on uh, in Worcester. And there is is a notch up higher than that, and that would be a a lockdown facility. So the idea is to continue to bring healing to that child, to walk them down that step to lower trauma so that they can be in a loving home environment, whatever that might be, whether it's uh, with uh, the parents or whether it's with another biological family member, could be a group home or foster home. So... On a residential facility, we provide, if you came onto our campus, you would see to your left a circle, which is where all of our kids live in houses. We have children from 6 to 18 years old. We break that down by gender and then by age, pre-teenager or teenager. Uh, and that's how we do that in the houses. We used to have something called um, house parents, and we don't have that anymore, where parents used to live 24-7 with the kids. It was very hard for us to get people to do that and hard for us to keep people on campus to do that. So now we do shifts, first shift, second shift, third shift, 
every cottage has their own therapist uh, and other uh, clinicians to help those children. And we have a wide range of therapies, uh, equine therapy, art therapy, recreation therapy, music therapy, as well as one-on-one and group therapy. We do education on our campus because children come to us typically two grade levels behind where they should be at their age. So we're going to try to catch them up as much as we can uh, on campus as well. So to give you a little feel for the kind of child that might come to us at the Christian Children's Home of Ohio, how, and every time I think of some of these stories, I am reminded how blessed I have been to, to come in a home where the parents loved me and took care of me. Um, but whenever I think of this one girl, she's 14 years old, who came to us. And Children's Services was involved in her family's life, they tell us, <clears throat> from age one. And it wasn't until age 14 that she came to us. I'm not really sure how she stayed in the home that long, but she did. Uh, in the course of that time, she had a stepfather who was, not, who was very verbally and emotionally abusive of her, but also at times literally stuck a gun to her head and threatened her life and put a knife to her throat on multiple occasions as well before she came to us. Um, so as you can imagine, I, can't, I cannot even imagine the first 14 years of my life growing up in that, not knowing if someone's going to stick a knife to my throat today because they're mad at me. That's her story. We have many, uh, you hear about human trafficking in the headlines today, a lot of children who are human trafficked do come to us, which you might be surprised at. When I joined, I've been with the Children's Home for seven years. When I first joined, I just thought of, I thought of human trafficking being strictly girls, teenage girls. But actually, a huge population of human trafficking is girls 10 to 14 years old, uh, which was shocking to me that that population was such a, a wide portion of human trafficking. A lot of them come to us at the children's home. We've had children who, who have been in cages. We have had children who have been pulled behind vehicles. So when I talk about a higher level of trauma, that's the kind of child who comes to us. And sometimes they act out in ways that aren't, uh, I was speaking to the kids, uh, in the Sunday school hour. And sometimes they act out in unpleasant ways. Fight, flight, and freeze are the common ways that we deal with, with trauma. So running off would be a way, fighting, literally fighting, and, and being angry. I, I share the story uh, with the kids there of how a boy who saw me one day walking out to get the mail and he just looked at me and cursed at me. Now he didn't know me from anything, uh, but he just cursed at me and I knew it wasn't about me. Uh, you just know. Uh, they're just, this is his acting out. And it, as another day went by and another day by, he would see me go by their cottage on the way to get the mail. And he started to ask me, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm getting the mail. And then after they started to ask me, well, is there anything for me? And there wasn't. And the next day he'd ask, is there anything for me? And there wasn't. And after a few days of that, I went back to the therapist of that cottage and said, Something must be up if he's asking me every day. It turns out he's waiting for something from his mom. His mom promised him that she was going to send him something in the mail. Another day goes by. Is there anything for me? And there isn't. Is there anything for me? And there isn't. And then, the one that really got me, is when he asked me, is there anything for me? And there wasn't. And he said to me, thank you for looking, or thank you for checking every day to see if I got any mail. At that point, 
it was on <laughs> for me. I, I am going back again. We, I, I will buy whatever this child's supposed to get. And the therapist had to tell me it's really not about the gift. It is about his mom being true to her word and getting him what she promised to get him. And this went on for days, weeks. He's now every day now asking me, is there anything for me? And thanking me for checking. Finally, one morning, I'm hearing a whistle as I come onto campus, and it turns out that whistle was part of that package, and it came via UPS rather than regular mail. So finally did come. A lot of work was happening behind the scenes to make that happen. But I share that story with you to, sh- to give you a picture of the, the life of these children. So they come to us hurt. We're not something normal. No child should have to. I wish we didn't have to exist at Christian Children's Home. It is not normal for a child to have to be removed from a home and placed with a bunch of strangers to receive therapy to be healed. But that's what happened. One day, they're removed from a home, bunch of strangers. They're going to act out. Three common ways of drama I told you about, fight, flight, and freeze. They're going to do all that kind of stuff. That's what he was doing with me that first time he saw me, acting out with that fight mechanism. But over time... He softened his heart as he has continued to be healed. He starts to ask me questions, starts to thank me. That's just part of that, that change in his life during his time with us. And that's the difference that happens when people come into experience with the love of God. And they, they experience him in a real way. We had a girl who came to us and she shared this uh, testimony at her baptism. And she shared that she never prayed before ever in her life. And she was literally tied up in this home and she prayed for the first time that God would save her. And when she said amen, she heard the police sirens outside that house door. They came in, freed her and brought her to us. And as I just told you, during her time with us, she gave her life to Christ and was baptized on our campus. A transformed person. The love of God is a powerful thing. And that is the difference that you're making in children's lives. And they will say to me at times, thank you, but they really mean thank you to you. And while they can't be here today to do that for you, uh, do that themselves to you, I will take the moment to say thank you for supporting them and providing them the care that they need to experience their worth in Christ. Thank you, Dan. Uh, anybody that works with youth uh, or has teenagers in their house understand uh, what they're going through in today's culture. Um, and like Dan said, there shouldn't need to be a facility there, but there is for a reason. We're thankful that, that it is there and God is using it. Uh, the, the next mission, uh, Dr. Brady Kale from Crossside Missions. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to go with him to Columbia the last time, and he did bring us back safely. Uh, Mark's not here to, Mark Overly's not here to kind of take the blunt of some things, but It'll be uh, you. <laughs> maybe next time he, I was able to make it back safely. So uh, Dr. Kale, uh, probably COVID has impacted him more than probably a, a lot of the other organizations, but uh, he's got a lot to share coming forward, some things in the work uh, that's just uh, been a blessing. And before I start, we probably should 
cut Eric a little slack about not knowing how many children he has because he's a year older today. And when you hit your 30s, it kind of you start losing things a little bit. So happy birthday! Um, for those of you who don't know, Crossside Missions. So we Crossside Missions was started in basically in 2000. And what we do, I'll be brief because I know a lot of you know what we do. But we take eye care and eyeglasses out to third world countries. Um, we collect eyeglasses throughout the year. Thank you for the box boxes, and uh, we, we process each one of those glasses, we get them ready to go, and we take those used eyeglasses out on mission trips, and we go to places where people are never going to see an eye doctor. They're never going to have the opportunity to have eye care, never have an opportunity to have a pair of glasses. Um, you know, as I look around, I always see glasses, and for a lot of you, that's been your whole life. Me too. Um, I don't know if you can imagine your life without those, but there are people in this world who do that. And we are trying to change that. Now, obviously, that's our one goal. Our other goal is to use our skills and, and open up some doors for missionaries so they can share the word of Christ with those around them. I hope you noticed in the video with the Humphreys, they mentioned that, hey, we're, we're giving them things that they need, food, um, housing, because when you have needs, sometimes talking about God gets blocked out by those needs. So you provide those needs and it opens up some doors to be able to share. And that's really the basis of what Cross-Eyed Missions does. We use eye care. And I, when I go on a mission trip, when we were in Columbia, when we were wherever, I want them to use us. Use us to open up doors for them. Use us so they, a village will, will allow them to come in and talk about God. There are places out there that are really rough that uh, they, don't, they don't want anything to do with church. Well, what if we brought in an eye doctor and a team and we took care of your eye care and, and gave you free glasses? Oh, yeah, we'd like that. So they let them in. And people wait for hours and hours to see us, which is beyond me. Why anybody wait more than 10 minutes? But they wait hours. And while they're sitting there, it gives the church an opportunity to share. Share about Christ. Share about what they can do. Share about what they can do in their lives. So part of what we do for Crossside Missions is to open up those doors. So a lot of those doors, unfortunately, for COVID, had kind of taken a little bit of a hiatus. So this last year, we weren't able to travel. Um, it was disappointing. And I, I shared earlier that sometimes I like to be in control. Well, throughout my life, God has told me that it's not me. And this was just another lesson for me, because I would sit and throw a tantrum and say, we should go somewhere, and I want to go somewhere, and by golly, that's what I want to do. Well, I couldn't. And God said, there's other things you can do during this time. So we actually have revamped some equipment. We, we, we spent some time looking at what we do and, and how we do it. And hopefully that was the time we needed to do some of those things. Because we don't have time generally to do that. So that's kind of what this last year has brought. A little bit of, um, a little bit of self-infliction. That's bad. <laughs> uh, just we're able to look at ourselves and just make sure we're doing what we need to do. And it's, that, that's really been the case. But the good news is we have a trip planned for December. We're going to Honduras in December. Um, as I've been to Honduras many times, and we're going back to one of the original villages that I first started Cross-Eyed Missions at. The missionaries that I work with have retired, but um, I want to share the story of how we're going back to that village. Uh, about 20 years ago, roughly, there was this, we were on a trip. I was with a dear friend of mine, Dick Reed, who has since passed away. Um, but Dick and I were at this village, and we were checking eyes, and this little boy came up, 
sat beside us, just sat down and would ask us questions. And for a five-year-old boy, he was really smart. He was telling us Bible verses. He wanted to learn English. Just was so interested. Well, he kind of came almost every day to the church we were set up at. And uh, we got interested in him. And we asked the missionaries, like, who is this kid? Well, his name was Marvin. And Marvin's dad had disappeared. Mom wasn't around much, so he showed up at the church a lot. And they said, the missionary said to me, he's a special kid, isn't he? We're like, yeah, he's a really, really smart kid. And we found out through the conversation that he wasn't going to be able to go to school because of some simple things. He didn't have shoes, and he couldn't afford the books that he needed for school. And I know in our world that sounds ridiculous. Uh, I can't tell you how many pair of shoes I have. I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you how many pair of shoes I have. But we decided at that point, Dick and I, that um, we were going to send this boy to school. So we sent him to his first year of school, and that turned into the second year, and it turned into the third year, and turned into more and more. And um, we had a few other people join in with us to help support him to go to school. Well, this young boy is now 20-some years old, is graduating from college in December, the week we're going to be there. Not a coincidence. And he is actually pastoring some churches. So we've supported him all the way through college. I think we wrote our last check this last fall. And as he's doing these things, he reached out to my retired missionaries and said, Hey, could you get a hold of Dr. Kale? There's some churches that I would like to to pastor to, and they're kind of not letting me. He goes, I want Dr. Kale to come along, check eyes, and so I can get into those villages. I tell you this story because, quite frankly, you never know how God's going to use you. And we had no idea that that little boy would be pastoring and would come back and ask us to help him get into some of those villages. Um, to me, this, this trip coming up is probably one of the most special to me just for that reason. I never in my wildest dreams thought that this little boy would be able to touch so many lives. What I do and what everybody else does here, we plant seeds. Sometimes we don't know what... what the, 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 the end product is on some of those things but that's not really not my job fortunately for this one I can see some of the end product and it's amazing I want you all to remember that in life just like you know we all have talents we all have gifts we all have different things how you choose to use them is really the bottom line if you use them for the glory of God and plant seeds it's amazing what you'll come out in the end So lastly, I just want to thank you all. This has been a trying year for probably everybody in here. And I know it's it's you guys don't give to be proud, but you should be proud of yourselves. From the Pregnancy Center to the Children's Home to Columbia to the new missionaries to my group, you should be proud of what you've done. You should be proud of the lives you've touched because you've touched a lot of lives. I don't know how many. They don't know how many, but it's a lot. And we don't function without you. We don't function without even the greater kingdom of God. So thank you all, and I appreciate the time today. I am banking my time, though, because next year I'm going to have more things to talk about with our trips. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kale. It's those seeds we keep planting and throwing down. You know, you never, like you said, most of the time you never know what happens to those, and, and, and it's a blessing for Dr. Kale to be able to be down there when he sees that you know, the end product of that. So our final 
mission. Uh, Dale Mead from the Columbia Christian Mission cannot be here. He has a he had a previous speaking engagement. Uh, it's probably our longest, I would think, supported mission. But his daughter Wendy is here to to share and give us an update. Buenos días, me llamo Wendy, soy la hija de hermano Roberto. Good morning, I am Wendy Stoller, and I am the daughter of Dale Mead. He was in Chicago this weekend, so he wasn't able to be with you, but I know that he is disappointed. My parents, Dale and Jeannie, for those of you who may not know, although, like he mentioned, your church has supported us since before I have memory of so, while I was still en route to the mission field um, when I was still, when I, my mother was still pregnant with me. My parents left for the mission field approximately 49 years ago. They went to language school, which is where I happened to be born in Costa Rica. I was two months old when we headed to Colombia. First moved out into the jungle, and one of the ladies in Sunday school reminded me she still remembers the story, which is true. The um, first place that they lived when I was a baby was out in the middle of the jungle. No doctor, no electricity. And um, my dad flew my mother out, so she had me and a dog. And my dad was supposed to meet her there, but he got held up, so he was in the canoe with all their stuff and watched her plane fly over. And she did arrive with no one there to greet her. Dad did arrive later in the day. Um, but obviously we all survived, and life went on. Um, I grew up visiting this church for many years, every time I was on furlough, so I know many of your faces well. We often were at the Smith's home. I went to college with Debbie, um, their daughter. And when I went to college, I remember the ladies' group from this church knit me an afghan and sent me with quarters to college to do my um, laundry as if I was one of your own. And you all have always held a very special place in our heart. Um, Columbia has changed a lot. When I was young, we were surrounded by idols and candles in the worship of the more secularized Roman Catholic Church in Colombia. But now um, you'll see Bible verses on the back of a truck when we're going down the mountain to where the camp is. So the Lord's work really has increased. There are a lot more churches. There's a lot more presence of evangelical Christianity there. Colombia, as all the countries, has been negatively affected by COVID. And Colombian authorities, especially in some areas, used it to keep churches shut. One of those areas was in the capital city of Bogota. The mayor there is very anti-church, anti-Christian, and she was very specifically targeted churches. Even when dance halls and beer joints and bars and everything were allowed to be open and crowds were allowed to gather, churches were not allowed to open. And once churches were allowed to open, there were a lot of restrictions, and she was sending police around to make sure they were doing it so she could use the excuse to shut them down if they were not following all her strict rules. So the preacher of the Church of Suba, those of you that went down on, on the group um, that I got to work alongside four years ago, remember that's the church in Bogue. Usually dad takes everyone to that church. The minister there is Jorge Osorio, and he actually sent me last evening uh, a message to share it directly with your congregation. He said, I'm appreciative to Wendy and missionary Dale Robert Mead for representing us to share with you all the following message. For many years in the past, we had asked the owner of the warehouse where we meet if he wanted to sell, and his answer was always no. The past year, the owner of the facility that we have met in for 22 years in a very suppressive and urgent manner told us he was going to sell the warehouse, and he insisted that he wanted us to be able to continue meeting there. The warehouse has a commercial value of 1,200 million pesos, but he told the church that he would sell it to us for 800 million, which is about 200,000 depending on the exchange rate. We had decided to take a step of faith and purchase it. At the moment of writing these lines, we have paid 400 million pesos. 
and we still owe another $400 million. We are selling dinners and are doing cooperative activities to obtain the means to pay. We also are thankful to the Lord and to you for the support that you have given us and collaborated in your donations toward this purchase. Our church family sends a very big hug and a heartfelt greeting to all of you. We have faith in God and in his promise embodied to us by the way by way of his son, Jesus Christ. We are in his hands, and he is whom we serve day and night. I am praying for you and with much appreciation from Suba Bogota, Jorge Osorio Cometa. My dad also works with the camp and the school where your group visited and worked and where the doctor did one of his um, eyeglass camps. Uh, on, the school th- on the school, it was started approximately five, uh, 55 years ago. In fact, when I go down in two weeks, I'm going to part, uh, two weeks from today, I'll be flying down. Lord willing, uh, we are going to have a celebration the week after of the 55th year anniversary celebrating the beginning of the school. It was began 55 years ago by a gentleman who was working in the churches, never took a salary, poured his own funds into it, and it has survived. It started out as an elementary school. Now they have preschool through high school and graduating classes. His daughter, Jenny, runs it, and I work with her and I have the privilege of getting to be on the board of Colegio Peñen. They have 262 students, and they meet in classrooms attached to the church. The gospel is included in everything that they teach there. It's also an outreach. Many kids, as he referenced, a lot of times kids in our third world countries, if you don't have money to send your child to school, they really don't have a chance at an education. And if there is public education, usually the publication the public education is so poor that they're basically going to keep them in that impoverished level. They'll never go anywhere. So if there's any chance of your child making it out of the poverty in which you find yourself, it's sending them to a private school. And it has really, we've seen that in the church. When I was a child, there were one or two cars that came to the church down in Columbia. And now when I go, it's filled with professionals who are attending Thanks to the school and the scholarships that many of you helped provide, they're bringing their families. They have raised enough socioeconomic levels that they can own vehicles, and it's been a real blessing to them financially in addition to the spiritual blessing. I love visiting when I'm in Columbia. I usually spend some time out uh, in the school, and she was already scheduled me for what days I'm going to be there this this year as well. The camp where Dad is working now is doing well. They're beginning finally to allow them to have bigger group activities post-COVID. Um, the school was utilizing it. Those of you that followed Dad on Facebook, you were seeing that during COVID. Um, they were having some of their outdoor ed activities and some other things because they could follow all the rules. Um, as I said, I'll be heading down in two weeks. Um, I usually try to go for just under a month every summer when I'm capable, when I'm able to. Um, we will be celebrating the 55th anniversary and also be working with a gentleman who will be working with the school. He works with special ed and training the teachers and special ed techniques and stuff like that. But most of you probably are wondering, how is my dad doing? My dad is doing really well. He, his age has really not slowed him down. He's over 70 now, but still running full steam ahead like always. Um, He's traveling a lot in the States and in Colombia, still doing what he has been doing, working with the camp, working with the churches, preaching, helping in leadership training. Um, And then also, he has been teaching at KCU every other fall. He is going to begin teaching every fall per their request. They really want to build up their missions program, and they have asked him to become a part of doing that and helping them 
uh, build that back up to what it used to be. I want to thank you so much for your support of the work in Columbia through all these years. I'd like to invite you to consider sending a team down again now that things are opening up. We have plenty of projects, whether it's the camp or working at the school, or another one is the Church of Suba. Now that they actually own the building, um, some of their Sunday school rooms are just block wall and no covering or anything. So Dad, one of Dad's ideas is to maybe help them in some of the projects of beautification and just making it a little more beautiful place to worship and be where people can bring their families. Um, those are some of the projects that Dad has talked about. May the Lord continue to bless you as this is your work as well. You guys have been invested in this all the 40-some years that Dad has been involved in there. So you are part of this as well. Um, the Lord directs, but we are all tools in whatever way that he helps, that he allows us to be. May the Lord continue to bless you um, and with the Christian mission and the church brethren in Columbia, continue to pray for them. May the Lord ultimately be praised, and may he richly bless you for all your support with prayers and financially through the years. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Wendy. That's the praise team. Works our way back up uh, for our, our final, our closing song. Um, just remember, we, we are a, the light of the world. You know, we're a city on the hill that can't be hidden. And even though a lot of us won't participate in missions going away to a, another country or even locally, you know, we, we still are a witness in our own area, work, school, our community. People look at us and see us, how we, even, how we act every day. Even if we're not sharing the gospel message by our words, we're sharing it by our actions. So one last thing real quick. Our, our last drive has been eyeglasses and we're about 150 short. Uh, so if you have glasses, not the ones you're currently wearing, you can keep those. But if you have some extra ones laying around, um, you can drop them off at the church uh, and we'll get those to Dr. Kale. If you can join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just thankful, Lord, and uh, we're just blessed to be able to hear the updates and what's coming forward in your kingdom, Lord. And, and as we carry out today and, and we remember those that are, are fallen from Memorial Day, Lord, tomorrow, that we take time to reflect and, and remember those and, and pause uh, tomorrow during our activities. Lord, as we go on, Lord, just continue to be with us, keep us safe, and keep us healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can hand your pledge forms to me or Sue will be out back, um, or you can put it in the clay crock. I just uh, encourage you to think of what God wants you to do for uh, this coming year. And I think we're still about $1,000 from our goal for this year, so keep up with your pledges. We've done fabulous um, to support these visions with even more than the 5000 So thank you so much. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.